Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God the Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God which we will consider today is our epistle found recorded in St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. In the third chapter, we begin reading there at verse 9 in Jesus' name. Indeed, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have before God on account of you? Night and day we are praying earnestly to see you in person and to supply what is lacking in your faith. May God our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord increase your love and make it overflow for each other and for all people, just as ours does for you, so that he may establish your hearts as blameless in holiness before our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his saints. These are the words. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed, the Apostle Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, spent about three weeks in the city of Thessalonica in northern Greece. And while he was there, of course, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching the people about God's love for them for Jesus' sake. By this message, the Holy Spirit called and gathered a little congregation of believers. All of this in three weeks. That's really not very much time, is it? Probably not enough time to establish a solid and mature Christian congregation. But because of the intense persecution that was being brought against Paul, there in Thessalonica, he couldn't stay with the people any longer. In the days and weeks following, Paul was naturally worried about those new Christians in Thessalonica. Could they withstand the fierce attacks now being brought against them? Would they be able to hold out against the assaults of Satan who always wants to destroy and uproot new, tender faith wherever he finds it? Could these infant brothers and sisters of Jesus now persevere against the entrenched idolatry and immorality in that city? To get answers to these worrisome questions, St. Paul sent his younger co-worker, Timothy, to that city to see how the Christians were doing. And what Timothy was able to report back to Paul was very encouraging. It was a source of deep, profound joy. For not only were those new believers holding firm in their faith, but they'd really become a shining example for other churches to follow. What Paul heard from Timothy caused him to write, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have before God on account of you? But the situation they faced was still very dangerous. It still required fervent prayers on their behalf. 
Paul didn't know if he ever really would be able to return to Thessalonica, but he knew for certain that the Lord Jesus was going to return to Thessalonica, and he wanted his new friends to be ready for that day. You and I also should be ready for the unknown day in the future when our Lord Jesus will come to judge all people and to destroy this world. So this morning, let us apply St. Paul's words to ourselves and to our own congregation as we consider a prayer for preparation. The first request in this prayer is this. We say, Lord, provide us with all that we need for our faith. Paul writes, night and day we're praying earnestly to see you in person and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wanted to come back to them and provide all of the instruction from God's word that he could. That way there would be no serious gaps between what they believed and confessed. Our preparation for the last day also should include this earnest and urgent attempt to know all that we can know about God by what he tells us about himself in his holy word. Part of that knowledge of God, though, also means growing in the awareness of ourselves and our own sins against him. For today, you and I are tempted by the same dangers prevalent in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, including idolatry. In the centuries during the Roman Empire, a great number of different gods and goddesses were being worshipped. The Christians in the empire were being attacked because they renounced all of those gods and they insisted upon the worship only of the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The idolatry that we're facing today is perhaps even more fierce. For here in our time, we're surrounded by phony competitors to God who take the form of money or material possessions, luxuries, freedom, security. St. James wrote, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to become a friend with the world becomes an enemy of God. As we think about the coming end of the world, as we think of that moment when our own lives will be scrutinized and judged by God, we may rightly feel frightened and helpless. We might wonder, how will I manage in that moment? How will I be found then, not as God's enemy, but as his beloved ransomed son, or daughter. Thanks be to God that his word provides that answer we look for. And it is this, that he sent his own son from eternity to rescue us. Jesus Christ came here to be under and to live under the holy law which condemns every one of us. He came instead to be condemned in our place and to suffer and die on the cross, there burdened down with all of our sins. By his rising from the dead on the third day, the Father 
declared forever his favor and his acceptance of what Jesus has done for us. It's by faith and faith alone that we receive this blessing. And even this faith which does that is a gift from God. Our faith is not something that we conjure up in ourselves or boast about But like any gift, this one too can be neglected and mistreated. So we ask God in our prayers to always fill up what is lacking in our faith by the Holy Spirit. As we read the Bible, as we gather in church to hear God's word, as we see to the baptisms of others and as we are put in mind of our own baptism, as we receive the body and the blood of Jesus in Holy Communion. The Holy Spirit is there every time answering this prayer by building us up and preserving us in our faith. The Bible teaches us that faith is something that is active in love. Where love is missing, then faith is missing. Jesus warned that In the days before his return, in these last days, the love of most will grow cold. And we feel that chill, don't we? And we see that coldness within our own society as we witness the intense violence occurring in the form of riots in some of our large cities. We feel that chill in the political conflict which rages here in our country leading up to the recent election and now in these days following it. And we feel it in the sharp disputes that sometimes break out among us about how to respond to the pandemic we're living through. The notion of loving our neighbor as God directs us to do seems to be waning among us and we admit maybe to feeling that coldness in our own hearts. So the second part of the prayer, this urgent prayer of preparation is this, that we will ask God to always increase our love. Paul writes, and may the Lord increase your love and make it overflow for each other and for all people just as ours does for you. You know our sinful nature doesn't love God. After all, God is holy and just, and he demands of us, his creatures, that same holiness. And so our natural response, knowing that we are sinners, is to be afraid of God and to be in conflict with him. All of that is part of the dread that we might feel when we think about the last day, which could come at any time, and the judgment that we'll face. But God has reached out to us with the good news of his love for us. And by that gospel, he's drawn us to himself. In the gospel, he introduces himself to us as Abba, your father. And as our father, he shows us mercy and compassion. And then our fear goes away. As the Bible says, perfect love drives out fear. It is that love from God that he has for us which causes us then to in turn love one another. As St. John writes, we love because he first loved us. 
our love is to be extended, first of all, then to the household of faith. That is, to each other, to our brothers and sisters in the faith. When we see each other, we're seeing Christ. For on that day when he returns, Jesus will say these words, Whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done for me. But we practice a religion that is very radical, countercultural, for it calls upon us to love not only our friends and relatives, but even our enemies. Our Lord tells us to love those who persecute us and spitefully use us. Our sinful nature, of course, intends to do just the opposite of that. That is to repay every insult for insult, every hurt for further hurt. But the Lord died for each one of us while we were still in sin, still enemies. And he instructs us, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So may the Lord increase our love for one another and for all people. As we love our neighbor, we are actually accurately reflecting God's love that he shines on us. There is a third and final part to this prayer in preparation for the coming last day, and it is this, that we ask the Lord that he would constantly work in us an improvement in our lives right up to that day when he comes to bring us home to heaven. St. Paul writes, he prays that he may establish your hearts as blameless in holiness before our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his saints. For Jesus' sake, God has already declared us to be holy and blameless. That is the most important thing for us to know. Jesus' own innocence and blamelessness is counted as ours through faith in him, and we're covered in that, so that by faith we are not condemned. The Bible says of Jesus, he was put to death for our sins and was raised again for our justification. Now as God's own forgiven children, not declared to be not guilty for Jesus' sake, we live here for one purpose, not to get rich, not to attain all the education we can, not to be popular or famous, but for this purpose, that we glorify God who justifies us. And we do that by the way that we live our lives, directed by our faith in him. When we are patient and merciful and self-controlled and forgiving and hopeful and helpful, we are honoring him who bought us with his blood so that for his sake we can meet that day of the judgment with confidence and joy. When he comes back on the last day, he will point to our behavior as the evidence for the faith that is in our hearts. He had declared the time is coming when all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. 
dear friends, now as we are drawing closer to the end of the church calendar year, which really ends at the end of this month, let us be mindful of the coming end of all things, the end of this world. Let us be ready for Jesus' glorious return. Pray that he will make us ready by giving whatever it is that's lacking in our faith through his word, by increasing our love for all people, even our enemies, and by improving and shaping our lives and conduct that in a way that gives him all the glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.